Vegas White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. Welcome in to White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. We are underway. Pitchers and catchers have reported. Full squad workouts are coming up on Monday. First game of the 2023 spring training schedule. Cactus League ball for the White Sox starts February 25th. And you can hear it all right here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Radio Network. Man, it's a good show. Glad to have you in. Sox fans, 2023 ticket plans are available right now. We offer a variety of plans. When you lock in today, you'll get flexible payment plans, savings on single games, great seat locations, and more. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash season tickets. Fun show today. White Sox pitching coach Ethan Katz will join us. Full disclosure, I spoke with him yesterday, so uh, anything that's popped up in the interim, we haven't covered. That's the nature of time. You can't do it that way, and Ethan had his time to talk yesterday, and we were more than happy to spend a couple of minutes, uh, 15 of them, talking about the White Sox state of the, the pitching staff and exactly where guys are. A lot of interesting stuff about the back end of the bullpen that you'll hear coming up in just a couple of minutes uh, and that we'll get into a little bit later on in the show. Found that interesting. Wanted to go through some of the big notes in camp. Uh, obviously, I, I think I want to take this week and the next couple leading through the rest of spring training to really go over some of the new rules changes. We, we started a little bit last week, um, and I want to go through the rule changes of the next couple because they are big, and we are going to see a, a, an enormous change in baseball here in 2023. Games could be shortened by almost a half an hour across the board because of some of these rules changes, and that obviously uh, is a big step in the right direction for Baseball. So we'll talk a lot about that. We'll also go by position by position, kind of around the White Sox here. Not this week, but starting next, uh, and kind of go through what some of these changes have been, how it looks different, how the White Sox look the same, what they're looking to do to capitalize on some areas where they were deficient last year. Just a a real good spring training breakdown is what we're going to do. Oh, uh, before we get going, a couple of World Baseball Roster Classic changes. World Baseball Classic Roster changes, that is. Uh, Kendall Graveman for the White Sox is going to throw for Team USA. That was not set when we hung up the phone last week and ended our show. So that's in, uh, and that's there. He's up, raring, ready to go. He's thrown, I think, five live bullpen sessions uh, prior to the start of the World Baseball Classic, which begins March 8th. Uh, Graveman, of course, a big part of this White Sox bullpen, which will be missing Liam Hendricks for the foreseeable future as he rehabs, as he battles back from non Hodgkin's lymphoma. Although, you know, other than the World Baseball Classic rosters, maybe the other thing that's, you know, not on the field for the White Sox, but an awesome update from the White Sox is that Liam Hendricks is in camp from time to time. Saw this yesterday. James Feagan had reported others had as well. Uh, Hendricks throwing partner for much of last year, and it sounds like, again, this season is reliever Joe Kelly. Hendricks has been in camp uh, throwing just a little bit. Nothing. I mean, he, he's throwing. That's that's all he's doing is throwing, but it, regardless, it, it apparently has been great 
for everyone to see him there. It's always good to see Liam. I'll actually get down to spring training uh, Tuesday, I think. I don't know if he's still going to be there and part of camp. He's obviously undergoing treatments and going back and forth. Um, but still, awesome to see. And, and again, I don't think that changes the timeline of anything. The White Sox were pretty clear that they don't expect to update Liam's situation, and, and perhaps Liam will do it himself. I don't know, prior to opening day or any earlier than opening day, and perhaps uh, later than that. You know, it's, it is cancer, after all, and it has its own timeline. I know Liam would like it to have his, um, but that's kind of where things are at there. It's just been really cool to see him in camp and, and kind of being up and around. Um, a lot of stuff had been, you know, a lot of, lot of news and notes, a lot of, lot of quotes and comments that have been popped out the last little bit. Last week, if, if you remember, I mentioned a couple of storylines that I was looking forward to following up on when camp opened up. Pitchers and catchers reported just a couple of days ago, and after I get down there in a couple of days, I'll be asking my own questions about it. But I was interested to see from White Sox general manager Rick Hahn that uh, mid-May, could be the return date, or is the the hopeful return date for Garrett Crochet, the big, tall, hard-throwing left-hander that underwent Tommy John surgery last spring training. Mid-May would be a uh, a quarter of the season or so, maybe a little less than a quarter of the season missed, but still a lot more than than could be or than he might have been available for had the rehab lasted a little bit longer. Hopefully that is the case and there are no setbacks. But a mid-May return potentially for Garrett Crochet, as we're talking about the back end of the bullpen, definitely changes um, what may or may not be needed by the White Sox, I guess, as they look to stay in contention and uh, take the AL Central away from the Cleveland Guardians. The biggest storyline in camp, or perhaps the, the newsiest storyline, is is one that is unavoidable, and it is a, uh, it's a tough one to deal with. I mean, there's, there's no really segue to it, and there's no way around that. Uh, Mike Clevenger is under investigation by Major League Baseball uh, for violating the, uh, the, the CBA, the, the, the Joint Domestic Abuse Policy. Um, that investigation is still underway. Clevenger spoke to reporters at the outset of camp and asked very clearly that folks wait for facts to come out. This, these were his words uh, before making a judgment on his character, uh, stressed that this is his family that people are talking about. Um, there have been the other side of the story has been told in various places. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know that there's a lot of updating or, or or really even speculation that's worth doing here on the show until we have more from Major League Baseball. We, we went through kind of what the past precedents of players in investigation under this policy have gone through, the suspensions that they have, and in some cases haven't received, um, the different availabilities, the different roster lists, the different options that the White Sox either have or don't have available to them. Suffice it to say, it essentially boils down right now, currently, like in this in this brief moment of time, um, that the White Sox uh, are unable to make any sort of disciplinary action on their own should they choose to until this investigation by Major League Baseball is complete. So that is the latest on what is very obviously a, a uh, serious and sensitive situation uh, for all sides considered. And uh, obviously the baseball side of, of those things, you know, we'll, we'll talk about what the rotation looks like, and we will with Ethan Katz here in just a little bit. Um, but there's there's so much more to that than just 
who is the White Sox starting five and um, and who's going to break camp as the fifth starter, all that kind of stuff, if, if indeed it is uh, someone other than Mike Clevenger. So uh, it would be foolish to not go through what has been said down there at camp. However, um, that's really all that has been said up to this point. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the quotes that have been coming out from individual players here uh, about largely last season. Because whether it's a guy who was a newcomer last year in Joe Kelly, or whether it's a kid, a 28-year-old reliever who really made his breakthrough last year on the roster in Jimmy Lambert, or, or others still in Cease, uh, it's runner-up in the Cy Young, you can sense from everybody, given these quotes coming out from White Sox beat reporters, that they're, can we say this here? They're ticked off about last season. And there is a an axe to grind, a chip to carry, a, the stone in your shoe. I don't know if that one works as much as the other ones, but they're not happy having been 81 and 81, nor should they be. Uh, the expectations were so much higher for the White Sox in 2021, given off, given what they had come off, uh, pardon, in 2022, given what they had come off of in 2021, and they fell flat last year. I, they, they didn't make the playoffs and they absolutely had the talent to do so. Obviously, a lot of things contributed to falling short, but that's where they fell, short of the playoffs. So I, I thought Jimmy Lambert, who told reporters everyone's coming in here with a chip on their shoulder for sure, and everyone's a little bit pissed off. Bottom line is if we can stay healthy, perform at our optimal abilities, I think we know what this team can do. Or whether it's Dylan Cease saying things like, we're using last year as motivation. Yohan Moncada. Through Billy Russo, the White Sox interpreter, saying everybody here has something to prove, something to show what they can do to help this team win, also matters quite a bit. And I, those are words, yes. But there's no doubt, given what the White Sox did and did not do over the course of the offseason in terms of free agent additions and some minor trades that they made, that the impetus is being placed on this core again, and that this core will not have Jose Abreu available to them in 2023. He's playing for another ball club. He's a Houston Astro. So when we see these kind of things get said by these particular players, Moncada in particular, I don't want to spend a minute on, on him, I find it interesting that some of the conversation around a guy who is kind of in this, you know, let's go mode, right? I mean, Moncada is going to play for you know his country in the World Baseball Classic. He has reportedly gotten himself into better shape. He, he feels like than he has the last couple of seasons, ready to go for a World Baseball Classic, and also very much, he said, ready to go for the White Sox in 2023. I, that that better be the case. Here's what Pedro Grafal said. I don't know what these guys looked like last year in spring training. I was in another camp, but they look really good this year. Moncada is 27 years old. He's peaking right now, body-wise and strength. He's got the ability to do whatever he wants in the game. It's going to be a matter of him applying himself and our coaches doing their job. It's simple. To me, that's, that's the kind of thing. That's the kind of comment. That's the kind of attitude. And that's the kind of approach that the White Sox stressed very clearly they wanted in their new manager when they found him, and they did in Pedro Grafal, and Pedro saying the things that, that seem to be what's going to be the difference, the largest difference between last year and this year for the White Sox. Does that measure up in terms of production? We'll see. 
But it's pretty clear that when these same guys are, are going to be out there, the kind of high-level talent that Moncada and Anderson and Vaughn and Jimenez and Robert can all be, that these kinds of things, that the margins, even if it is you know, what Grafal said, it's going to be a matter of applying himself and our coaches doing their job, this is... You know, and I'll, I'll be very interested to hear more from Pedro as the days go on here in spring. But that's a manager saying, I'm here for you. And our coaches are going to work for you. But this is on you as well. And I like that kind of prove-it mentality being shown to some of the White Sox young core meaningful players. Because I... I think that's what this team needs at this point. Liam Hendricks, of, of all people, at the end of last year, said that he thinks the new manager, and, and at this time it, Pedro Gafal's name hadn't even come up. I think Tony LaRusa had just stepped down. Uh, maybe it was the day after. Maybe it was the same day as Tony LaRusa announced he was stepping away. But Liam said, I, I feel like this team needs an authoritarian at the helm. And I wouldn't go so far as to say that Grafal is an authoritarian one way or the other in terms of a you know, baseball manager-style authoritarian. But it definitely seems as though he's willing to say, hey, come on, let's get this thing done. This is on you. At least that's what it seems like you know, from Chicago as the team's in Glendale. And we'll get to know a little bit more about his personality as, as some of the weeks go on, as, as things happen, as mistakes get made, as home runs get hit. I I am very much. I think that's one of the things I left out of last week's show. You know, storylines that I was looking forward to following up on because I was thinking more of like newsy update storylines. You know, things that were going to have answers like, "Hey, when's Garrett Crochet coming back?" Well, we think mid-May. That's awesome. But I I kind of neglected to say, you know, I'm interested to see, and I am. I'm very interested to see exactly how Pedro Grafal, the new White Sox manager, interacts with his own players when they need a kick in the butt, and how he interacts with uh, reporters and, and therefore fans when he has done that kind of kicking and then has to go talk about it just a little bit. I, I'm curious and, and hopeful that we get to see some of that here because I, I think there is, there's value to that in today's game. As much as we you know talk about this being a, a game about numbers and analytics, say metrics and all this other kind of stuff, there is a there is a personal touch that needs to be applied and I think had been lost a little bit for, for maybe ten years about how coaches, you know, from a from a teaching standpoint relate to players and what they can get out of guys as they adjust to the league around them. So hopefully, as much as anything else, Pedro Grafal and the rest of this White Sox coaching staff, which is largely uh, brand new to the White Sox anyway, is able to get that job done. One of those coaches who is not brand new but has had really good results in a couple of different areas in his expertise, White Sox pitching coach Ethan Katz. The White Sox, of course, had Dylan Cease finish runner-up at the Cy Young last year. A lot of good storylines. Some guys looking to improve just a little bit. We'll talk about Lucas Giolito with Ethan Katz and a whole lot more when we come back. This is White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight on ESPN 1000. We are talking White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly. If you missed the show, we put the podcast up on the ESPN Chicago app. So listen on your time. White White Sox Sox Weekly. Weekly. ESPN Chicago. Chicago's home for sports. Welcome back. 
back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. Joining us on the show, White Sox pitching coach Ethan Katz. Ethan, thanks for joining us. I know it is a busy time down there in Glendale with pitchers and catchers reporting on the 15th. How are you? How is everybody you're in charge of? Um, good. Good. It's, it's, it's busy. Um, that's for sure. But everything is going good. Guys look good. And just uh, getting ready for the upcoming season, which we're, we're, we're excited about. How different was this winter than the last two winters that you spent as pitching coach of the White Sox? You know, that obviously there there is still a pandemic in the air. It is much different now than it was when you took the job. There was no lockout this season, which is a huge difference. Did it, did it kind of feel like the first time all over again? Or were there just a lot of things you got to do that you'd been looking to do this winter? Um, it was it was. It was kind of like the first year in a way. I mean, obviously the first year I was trying to build relationships, um, whereas now I kind of have those relationships with our guys. So um, easier in that aspect, um, but still the constant phone calls, videos, um, you know, that was that was much different than last year with the, with the lockout where I couldn't really talk to any of the guys and just, you know, hope for the best and, and give them their plan. And, and this year was kind of making sure they stuck to their plan and, and got to really make sure they were staying on track and they were they were doing well. And if they needed anything from us, that we were able to accommodate that. In, in hearing guys like Dylan and even Lucas talk a little bit, they've kind of made mention that you were very focused this winter on being able to go out to, it, it looks like just about everybody, and just kind of get a, a session in at the very least. Would would I be right in guessing that that's something that made you feel I, I don't know better about, more accomplished about, or be able to you know just kind of check that box a little bit bigger this last off season? Yeah, being able to check in on the guys personally, like being there, um, you know, flying around the country and getting in to see them is, is a huge benefit um, because obviously I could really assess. Um, where where the guys are at a lot better than um, you know the conversations phone and even sometimes video it, it's a lot easier just to kind of see the stuff that they are doing um, and seeing like kind of the setup they are in the environment they're in because you know everybody's everybody has different um, facilities different places they go um, and you know obviously you got different people that can be you know, in their ear. So you just want to make sure that everything is kind of staying on, on par to what uh, we believe is best and, and being able to make sure that they're having the best off season and we don't get surprised when we show up in Arizona. I'm, I'm curious, Ethan, in those workouts where you get to go see the guy in person and like, you know, whichever pitcher it is, right. Health being equal, the guy's healthy through the workout. Is it better for you? You think to see a bad workout or a good workout? You know, is it, is it better for you to see things that, that still need fine-tuning or that everything is hunky-dory, good to go? Um, I mean, obviously, the better it is, the easier it is for me. Um, sure. But it, it, it's more so, it, I think it's more so kind of, um, I don't want to come in too much and disrupt. Um, I want to kind of assess. And if I'm there long enough, um, I can do a better job assessing um, when I was there with some of the guys, but, um, I want to just make sure they're, they're staying on track and, you know, the people that whatever, wherever they're at, um, that they kind of have an understanding of the lens I'm looking through and, and what mm-hmm. we're trying to achieve and make sure that that communication, um, with the players and also then whoever is overseeing or whoever they're playing catch with, whatever it may be, just making sure that, um, 
their understanding kind of our perspective and making sure that the, the communication um, is really good so they can also be monitoring things that we think is important too. Talking with White Sox pitching coach Ethan Katz here on White Sox Weekly. And Ethan, I, I want to ask about a few f- specific pitchers, but before I do, this is going to be a year of big change. There's the pitch clock, there's step-off limitations, there's bigger bases. How have you gone about talking with your pitchers about these things kind of in general and, and more specifically? Um, we uh, we are going to actually have a meeting tomorrow and all this stuff, and um, the one the one narrative that is they'll be hearing all through spring is how how great this is for us as pitchers um, because we get a chance to really push the game, push the tempo on the hitters, which they don't like. Um, we just have to be um, prepared, and uh, we're working on that. We got shot clocks going right now. Um, we're testing the new pitchcom rules with our pitchers calling the game to kind of push that as well. So, and it's been really positive so far. So, um, that's kind of the messaging we're going to have. Um, I know from our side, there's more adjustments than it is on the hitting side, but um, we're going to look for any sort of edge we can to be able to um, to, to use this to our advantage. You mentioned, and I want to get back to the pitch clock for sure because it's a huge change for baseball, but you mentioned the new pitchcom. I know you personally were pitching hard for pitchcom last winter. This year, if fans are unaware, pitchers are able to wear wristbands whereby they can input the – I haven't seen these yet, Ethan, but I, I imagine it's a little bit like a, a Fitbit or, or whatever. You put your pitch in, and that relays itself to the catcher so the pitcher can kind of – call his own game alongside is that is essentially how it works and were you guys early adopters on this same way you were on pitch comp yeah i mean we want to we want to get our guys involved with this as soon as possible um so lance used it yesterday graveman used it today um it's essentially uh the same transmitter a little bit smaller than what the catchers have but it goes on we're we're putting it on the belt so you can cover it with the glove and um we're 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 catching the ball, we're hitting that button, and we're 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 going. So um, it, it's been great so far. It's been really good. Um, it, it's really flowing well. So um, we're excited to keep playing around with this and taking into games and and really see what um, what we can do with it. Do you have a an idea of what you think might be the most common? I was trying to come up with a, a word other than mistake. For, for this kind of question, when we get to pitch clock, when we get to games, I, guys are going to, guys are going to mess up. They're not used to this. Lance has been in the league for a thousand years. Don't tell him I said that, but it's, it's new to him. There's going to be something that goes on. What do you think is going to be the thing that catches somebody by surprise? Um, I, I think, I think everything is going to, is going to be like just new. Um, I don't think anything is going to be catching us by surprise. I mean, because we're going to really try to hone in and make sure our guys are aware of the rules. Right. Um, so I think, I think it's great. The feedback we're getting from major league baseball, they're going to go at this hard from the first game on, which will help us be able to adjust if need be, um, whatever's thrown our way. Um, and you know, if, if the messaging is like, you know, we're going to kind of ease into this. Um, I think that makes it a little bit tougher once the real games happen and, and we're trying to adjust that way. So, you know, the feedback they're getting and how they're going to be tough on us right away is great because whatever does pop up, we should be able to adjust and then we'll have classroom sessions on how we, um, stuff that's gone on and where we need to be able to adjust or talk about. So, 
uh, we can be better at it as time goes on. That's awesome. Uh, Dylan Cease finished second in the American League Cy Young voting last year. You have been as loud as anyone that he's got even more room to grow. How's that growth? How's Dylan looking? Dylan's 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 doing great. Um, you know, this off season, um, you know, coming in my first year in twenty one, it was uh, we, we, there was a lot of things we had to kind of uh, I don't want to say adjust, but kind of you know, I gave him a lot of ideas that stuff that we wanted to work on from delivery to how we want to attack it. Like we know each other so well now. Um, and I know him so well. So it was a, a different off season for him, obviously with the lockout the previous year was coming into the a shortened spring training. Like, okay, I, I really hope he's in a good spot to we, where we can be able to get going with a four week spring. Whereas this year it was kind of like, okay, Dylan, you know, you've been pushing hard for two years. Let's come into spring training um, ready. Uh, don't change that, but let's make sure you know you're not throwing 97 in your bullpens mm. this early when we got a you know a month and a half in Arizona. Let's kind of ease you back in. So he's he's building up very nicely. Um, he's just not as far as advanced intensity wise as where he's been the last couple of years at this point, which is in our mind a very good thing to kind of keep him as fresh as possible as we go through the season. Lucas Giolito entered spring training last year, having added a lot of weight. Last year did not go in a lot of places the way Lucas wanted it to go. What's been the focus for his winter? Um, What will be the focus for you and Lucas come this spring once you guys get into Cactus League games? Um, He has worked exceptionally hard this offseason. So he's he's in great shape. Um, his numbers of strength and his body weight is is he's where he needs to be. Um, so he's come into a camp in, 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 in a great spot. So he's worked really hard. Um, I'm excited for, to get him on the mound and, and get him in the games. And he's looking forward to this upcoming season because he kind of has a bad taste in his mouth from how last year went. How's Michael Kopech's winner? I, I know you mentioned toward the end of, uh, or I guess it was in the middle of the offseason, if memory serves. Correct me if I'm wrong, that you mentioned you're you know, kind of shooting for four innings, five innings, something like that, out of spring. Maybe, I think it was 80, 85 pitches, I believe is what you said. Is that still the expectation for Michael? Is there any change given the uh, knee and shoulder issues he had addressed? Um, I think that's about right still. Um, he's thrown three bullpens. Um, as he's been recovering and building up from the, the knee surgery he had. Um, but I, I think that's about right. Um, we we'll, we'll, we got enough time that we should be able to easily get him to about five innings, um, barring no setbacks or anything like that. Um, he, 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 should be, he should be well on his way for season. Um, he might just not be stretched out as far as um, some of our other guys. There's there's obviously a lot that, that may be decided with regards to Mike Clevenger, but as a pitching coach, I know you're always focused on starter depth. Outside of Davis Martin, how do you feel about that depth right now? Uh, what are some names that White Sox fans can perhaps uh, you know mark down in their scorebooks as guys come in out of the bullpen and Camelback Ranch and say, "Oh, this this could be a guy. This could be a dude." Yeah, I mean we've. I mean, I'll say uh, uh, the two years I've been here, we got a very very interesting group of guys that are here this year. Um, a lot of high-powered arms, um, that's for sure, which are, are very exciting. 
Um, you know, we had Gregory Santos we got from the, the Giants he threw the other day. Um, and it was it was really good. Um, Keenan Middleton threw. It was really good as well. Um, so we, we got a lot of guys in here that, that are very exciting and we're really excited about. And we're looking forward to getting them out there. But um, there, there's quite a few guys. There's not one guy in camp right now that um, will make you – kind of scratch your head and say, wow, this guy's pretty good. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot, this is a great group. Um, and our, our um, scouting department and everybody did a great job putting this together for us. So we're excited about the, the talent we have in, in the building, and, and I think it's going to be exciting to watch. Lastly, Liam Hendricks is such a big part of this team, and that doesn't even – I mean, that's not enough. You know, it's, Liam is, is so much for this team, both uh, in and out of the clubhouse, on and off the field. Everybody knows that. What have the conversations been like with the bullpen about how to carry on when he's battling? What sort of things do you um, do you look for in terms of leadership and in terms of, of production and, and innings um, from some of the guys who have been there before, some of the guys who will be there for the first time? Yeah, I mean, replacing Liam, I don't think you can do, right? It's, it's like he's he, he means so much to us. Um, and, you know, him being around right now, just seeing him uh, – brings joy to everybody. Um, but when it comes to kind of filling fill his, his role out, I think it's there's going to be a lot of opportunity for a lot of guys. And I think we have a lot of talented guys that could fill that role. Um, I think what we're going to do on our end is kind of assess that and also try to match up um, with where things are at the best way we can to kind of to finish a game. So um, it, it's up in the air. I, I wish I could give you an answer of who, who's going to – be that guy, but I think we have a lot of guys that can fill that void in any given night, and um, we'll kind of see how it plays out and play the matchup game. Ethan, really appreciate it. Thanks so much, and best of luck this spring, and can't wait to see you guys start 2023. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That's White Sox pitching coach Ethan Katz joining us on the show this afternoon. Remember, you can download each and every White Sox weekly episode in case you you want to hear the interview again, you tuned in late, or you want to show your friends We'd love for you to do that. Just download the ESPN Chicago app. Click on the White Sox weekly page. Each and every one of the shows is downloadable right there at your leisure. You can become a White Sox insider today for sweepstakes, special offers, the Friday Five, pre-sales, and other exciting Sox content delivered free to your inbox. Visit WhiteSox.com slash insider today. When we come back, talk a little bit about what Ethan had to say. I was particularly interested, among other things, about some of the things he had to say about the back end of the bullpen and some saves opportunities. So we'll take a look at that and a lot more here on White Sox Weekly. It's ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. FM 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. Connor McKnight, Sox fans, if you come on a special occasion and looking for the perfect location, well, we've got you covered. When you reserve your group outing for 2023, you get priority access to the biggest matchups and the best space for your group. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash groups. Just finished up a conversation with White Sox pitching coach Ethan Katz. Always good to talk with him at the outset of camp. Try and make that a you know yearly occurrence. Get set on where everybody's at. 
couple of um, couple of pictures, a couple of situations, I guess, that I kind of wanted to talk over a little bit now that he's kind of said his say. He and Pedro Grafal both have talked at the outset here of camp, you know, prior to players reporting and, and well before games. February 25th, by the way, it's first game for the White Sox. They'll play the Padres at Glendale and Casper, and I'll have that game for you right here on ESPN 1000. It's February 25th again. Um, it it sounds like they want to go, or it sounds like they are open to going matchup or, or leverage in late-inning situations, at least at the outset of the year. I find that interesting for a couple of different uh, for a couple of different reasons. Obviously, without Liam Hendricks uh, for the foreseeable future, it is like Ethan and I talked about. It, it's, it's, it's you can't replace him. He's the American League reliever of the year. He is as good as there is at what he does. Probably the best in the American League, and only Edwin Diaz, at least last year for the Mets, was was any better than Liam Hendricks on on a get the job done basis on a dominance basis too I think in in that you know final inning I know there are other relievers in other places that that were probably better in some rate stats but this is you know he's about as good as it gets when you absolutely need it and there's metal there there's testing material that I I think is shown there anyway um I would still venture to guess not based on anything I know, just you know, based on you know, kind of past being precedent and how teams like to handle situations like this, they're probably going to look at the hands of a of a veteran who has gotten this job done before for save number one of 2023, assuming that that comes, you know, in relatively short order and not in some weird 15th inning situation. That 15 inning situations are going to be rare because the zombie runner is back, apparently forever now. If you're new to the show, hadn't heard me talk about it before, I, that that extra runner that pops up in the 10th inning, the zombie it's not a ghost runner, it's a zombie runner. Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs coined the phrase, and I am happy, happy apostle for it. I mean, that's what it is. It is a runner come back to life. He was dead earlier, and now is back to haunt and do damage and all that other kind of stuff. I don't like it. I understand why the runner is there. I, I get the overall league change to it. All that to say, you know, if they ever get to a 15th inning situation, at the very least, that zombie runner isn't, you know, providing a lot of 15th innings for teams around baseball these days. It does seem to at least cut those down, but the, the innings you do play are longer anyway, and I, it, whatever, it's for a different conversation. But the zombie runner's back, and assuming there is no weird zombie runner save opportunity for the White Sox, first time out of the gate in 23, I think Kendall Graven is the guy that probably gets that save, assuming everything's coming up from the World Baseball Classic, just clean for him too. But I, I, I have always... While I value a closer who knows how to get it done in Liam Hendricks, a guy who's been there before, I value me, I, Connor, value versatility out of my bullpen. I like to be able to bring anybody out, just about, to face any situation, just about, because I think it keeps that other manager on his toes. I think he can't just look up and down the sheet and say, well, he's only used in these situations. So all we've got to do is prep a guy to go hit this dude. We don't have to think about how they're going to face him with other pitchers out of You know what? I, I like that in my bullpen, darn it. And I won't apologize for it either. So the idea, though, that 
Maybe Reynaldo Lopez is closing some games. Maybe Aaron Bummer has a couple of saves come his way, even from the left side. Maybe Joe Kelly has some spots where he proves to White Sox, you know, coaches and players and, and fans and alike, that last year was not Joe Kelly and that the large career of Joe Kelly is actually Joe Kelly. And this Joe Kelly is going to be a lockdown kind of guy with the velocity and nasty curveball that he did show last season. So I... I do like this idea of being able to get a little matchup. I also think that throughout the course of, let's call it April, you know, once you get into it, once you really get into a season, the rhythm of the year, as much as anything else, dictates who's available out of that bullpen. And I've, I've said it a hundred of times, and, and, and many smarter people than I am have said this way before I did. I'm just kind of parroting, but I do, I do believe in this. One of the most important things a manager does in the course of a season is manage a bullpen, be able to, to know who's hot, who's cold. And not from a, you know, has he gotten a lot of guys out lately? How's the stuff looking? How do you feel coming into today? What are the off-field stuff that dictates who is and isn't up in a bullpen? That's huge. Also, understanding what kind of situations have bit guys in the past, where the good spots are to challenge some younger relievers and see if they're able to take the ball and run with it a little bit. I think of a guy like Jose Ruiz, who, because of the the absence of Liam Hendricks, is going to be counted on, just in in terms of a number situation, uh, to pitch some higher leverage than he's been asked to pitch in the past. And when Jose Ruiz has been given higher leverage innings, sometimes it's cratered a bit on him. If he can step up, he's certainly got the stuff to perform uh, you know, you got to find the right spots to challenge guys, too, in a regular season so that they can get the job done. I like the way this coaching staff so far is talking about their late-inning opportunities. I also completely understand that there's some value in keeping your cards close to the vest, in not giving everything away and what you're going to do when you start the season. It may well be, and I wouldn't fault it fault him for it. It may well be that Kendall Graveman is their closer, that Joe Kelly is the you know that they have a guy right, that they have a guy, and they're not saying yet because they don't have to. And if that guy gets hurt, then the next questions that come your way are, hey, the guy that you wanted to replace your all star, Leon Hendricks, he's now hurt. Now what are you going to do? I I understand that, but I am I am hoping for a little bit of versatility and creativity too uh, from the White Sox in the latter you know couple innings of the game. I also think. That you know we're in an era now of of pitcher restriction. You know there's only 13 allowed on the roster. The White Sox have a Rule Five pick in Nick Avila, who I hope to talk about and talk to uh, once I get down to camp and in White Sox Weekly next couple of weeks. Learn a little bit about him, and and so the White Sox fans can learn a little bit about him as well. Um, there are opportunities for guys, and maybe Avila is a guy. Maybe he's not for multi-inning pitchers. You know, guys who can't be long relievers. You know, kind of that old school long reliever role. A guy that can pitch twice a week and and get out there for three or maybe four innings. The the idea was there in Vince Velasquez last year, and I, I think to a certain extent. Jimmy Lambert was a guy who th- was thought to have been able to take a role like that, but excelled as much as he did in the mid parts of the season. And it was like, okay, well, now you're just a, a high leverage right hander for us. We're, you're a guy that's going to have to get big outs, and the White Sox needed that at different points. So I, I'll be interested to see who materializes out of that as well. When we come back and as we close things up here on White Sox Weekly, I want to talk a bit about one of the rules changes. I, I want to go through these over the next couple of weeks. Uh, they're going to make a big, big 
impact difference in 2023. We'll start with the one that's going to be most clear to everybody, the pitch clock. We'll talk about it when we come back on ESPN 1000. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitter at ESPN 1000. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. 1000. Welcome back. Closing it up here on White Sox Weekly this afternoon. White Sox fans, you can stay up to date on all things White Sox by following the team's official social media accounts. Don't miss a minute of the action on and off the field. Follow the White Sox on social. Today they are at White Sox everywhere you look. We're at ESPN White Sox, the station Twitter handle. All the news and notes you need from the White Sox radio network right there on Twitter. I'm at C1 McKnight for at least as long as Twitter exists. I wanted to talk about the big, well, a lot of them, but one of the big, big rules changes here for 2023. Let's start with the pitch clock. This is a big, big, big difference in Major League Baseball. Pitchers will now have 15 seconds to throw a pitch while the bases are empty. And if there's a runner on or more, They'll have 20 seconds. Hitters have to be in the batter's box with eight seconds left on the pitch clock. And if the pitcher has not started his motion to deliver a pitch before the clock expires, he gets charged with a ball. If the batter's not in the box by that eight-second mark I just mentioned, he gets charged with a strike. Now, I'll put aside the idea that those two things aren't created equal, right? A batter only gets three strikes and a pitcher gets four balls to work with. Those are the penalties, and they're big time. The stadiums will have two clocks, one located behind home plate on either side of the umpire and one more in the outfield so that the batter can see that. Spring stadiums apparently may only have one clock where they're allowed, so they're going to have to kind of play around with those things. But as for spring, there are not going to be warnings here. There's no ease into these rules. There's no slow walk of any of these. It's on. Like, it is on, as we talked with Ethan Katz earlier. And one of the things that's going to be different, too, is we had Pitchcom last year where catchers could kind of type in the signs on their wristband or thigh band, is where a lot of guys ended up wearing it, and that would go through an earpiece to the pitcher. New this year is a wristband that doesn't have to be worn on the wrist. It sounds like the White Sox can wear that uh, on the belt somewhere, where the pitcher can key in the pitch. So imagine this. I think this is what we're going to see come the 25th. The ball is going to be on the way back to the pitcher, and that guy may have already, or while catching the ball, have clicked in the pitch he's looking to throw, communicated that to the catcher, then gotten into his set position, and the catcher would then, I would bet, kind of readjust, you know, if we need to throw it on every sign, or no, I don't like that curveball, or your fastball hadn't been over 95 in about an hour and a half, so no, you can't throw that, or just kind of relocate the pitch, so the pitcher types in fastball or, or clicks in fastball, and then the catcher shows location for that pitch, perhaps, and kind of dial that in a little bit. You know, Because I, w- I would imagine that on that wristband, there's probably not the same kind of capability as there is on the catcher band to type in pitch and location and kind of fine-tune some of those things. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how that um, alters kind of the, the back and forth between the battery. Now, Here's the reason they're doing this. If you haven't heard, 
This has cut something like 26 minutes off of the average game time. That has been a focal point for Major League Baseball over the last, gosh, I don't know, decade and a half, cutting games down in terms of time so that more people can watch more of the game on a nightly basis. It is entertainment, after all, and we want you to watch and listen as much base, to as much White Sox baseball as you can. So cutting that kind of time off cuts a lot of innings off. And I think this, too, you know, to say nothing in the entertainment value of things, we talk a lot about how guys in years past, right, decades ago in the 80s and 90s, they were out there for, boy, we played 155 games. We played all 160 games. Well, that's true, but the game was also 40 minutes shorter. 40 minutes per game times 162 games. It To me, it's no wonder that some guys have trouble and not all guys, but some guys have trouble staying on the field as much as you know we used to because they're standing around a lot more. And if you don't think standing around and getting yourself, your body moving the way you do in cleats isn't a big deal, then ask yourself why guys wear cleats for two weeks prior to spring training starts or why putting on cleats and running around in them is an absolute murder case on your hamstrings and your calves. This, this kind of thing affects guys. So hopefully that helps cut down a bit on some use and, and maybe even soft tissue injuries. I think it'll be really interesting to see. It will be absolutely fascinating to watch as it begins. And it begins on February 25th when the White Sox face the Padres. That's the first spring training game. It's coming up sooner than you know. Len Castro and I will have that game for you here on the White Sox Radio Network. That's going to do it for us on White Sox Weekly. We'll talk to you from Arizona. I'm Connor McKnight, CSPN. Network.